Welcome to the Environmental Justice Report with me, Janine Moloff. This show is designed to investigate and talk about environmental concerns that revolve around the concept of environmental justice for all of us. So this week we're going to look at something a little different. We're, with the election looming so close now, what would a second, God forbid, a second Trump administration mean for environmental concerns? especially issues of environmental racism uh, as it affects global climate change. And some people call it global warming, but I prefer to call it what it is, global climate devastation. How could environmentalists mitigate the damage that's been done on a wholesale level to this point? So let's look at the Trump administration heading right into this election cycle. One of the first casualties caused by the Trump administration has been on facts. It's been on facts, science, and the idea of truth itself. Not only has it been proven that Donald Trump most likely tells more lies daily, well, this is a little hyperbolic, than Florida harvest oranges. I think Florida probably does harvest more oranges than Donald Trump tells lies, but you get the idea. But Trump has instilled the entire government with an inferred directive to lie whether, especially when a lie is more politically convenient for Trump than the plain unvarnished truth. Now, there's different kinds of lies out there, all right? Sometimes people consider a lie to be the premeditated telling of something they know is not true in any way, shape, or form. But there are also lies of omission, where you leave out part of the truth. That's why when you go to court, they swear you in. They say, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? They're not going to accept a lie of omission or a half-truth. So this really horrible relationship with the idea of truth has been evident across the board with the entire Trump administration. No area of government's been spared, whether it's education, the economy, international relations, definitely Department of Justice, in my opinion, the courts, especially the SCOTUS, all have been infiltrated by what I'll call, in my opinion, Trump toadies crushing factual and full reporting, crushing the truth. Nowhere, in my opinion, has it been more evident than in environmental discussions regarding the future of life on this third rock from the sun. Since the scientific facts regarding global warming or global climate devastation uh, would reflect poorly on the fossil fuel industry. Any full reporting on present climate issues, and especially any climate models or predictive climate models, have been limited in scope and depth of data by Trump loyalists. So what would a second Trump administration look like in terms of the environment? Well, start and look at the first term. So from The Intercept, Jeremy Scahill reported today on his segment, uh, his podcast named Properly Intercepted. And this is his part seven climate carnage. And Scales basically said Trump has stacked what he calls an anti-science administration with, quote, corporate polluters, gutted environmental regulations, and open protected land for extraction, end quote. And it's true. He has. So this was part of uh, Scales American mythology, the president of Donald Trump. And it's an audio documentary series that Scahill is doing. It offers what he calls a comprehensive analytical history of the Trump presidency. And he really goes into some depth trying to look at Trump's extreme, what he calls extreme agenda and then kind of fit it into the roots of U.S. history and what did Trump's predecessors do. And so basically Scahill said, you look, Trump has denied science which is true. And he also says that Trump has guided uh, basically any mitigation of our environmental mess, what he calls the tipping point. And unfortunately, I tend to agree. Now, U.S. climate policy has been a mess for quite a long time, actually. But Donald Trump has been considered more dangerous than his predecessors, not only because he allows polluters basically to do whatever they want open season, but he seems to enjoy it, all right? Trump enjoys, it seems like, hurting people, hurting the environment. So Scahill does examine what he calls cor corporate-sponsored, what is it, corporate-sponsored deregulation crusade. 
even though we're facing environmental devastation in a matter of decades, if it's even that long. And, you know, Scahill goes on how basically the past four years, Trump has weakened or just eradicated up to 70 rules and regulations that were supposed to protect the environment. And there's another 30, roughly 30 policy changes that are coming down the pike. So these 100 changes collectively have largely been done at the EPA. And basically, this is being headed by a former lobbyist for the coal industry. Previous Obama administration's attempt to regulate the pollution. Um, Trump has also overseen this, the largest reversal of federal protection for land, for public lands in our history. All right. He's opened up federal lands that belong to all of us to corporate and industrial development. And Trump has called himself, he's saying he's opening up, quote, God's great creation, end quote, to mining and extraction. All right. So, you know, this is pretty obvious. So, again, from The Intercept, Sharon Lerner in September uh, wrote an article, a very good article titled, As the West Burns, the Trump Administration Races to Demolish Environmental Protections. And she talks about how the wildfires have destroyed millions of acres in California and Oregon and Washington. And she notes how there's been just an unbelievable number of, increased number of hurricanes, as reported by CBS News, that caused major flooding in the South. Uh, to the point, and New York Times reported that certain parts of the south of that region are uninhabitable now, especially right around Lake Charles, Louisiana. But the Trump administration keeps racing to just dump any environmental rules that they can. Okay, there, there is no shame here. The, the Trump administration is openly, not only favoring corporate polluters, but they've basically said, here, have at, it's open season. So Trump picked, and this, this article here, uh, Lerner goes back and she kind of goes back into the history. And she points out how the first head of the EPA, Scott Pruitt, was a climate denier, okay? And Pruitt rose through Oklahoma politics and he and basically he was sponsored by the oil and gas industry, and then he wound up being the first head of the EPA. Now Andrew Wheeler is, and so another lobbyist. Trump has handicapped any meaningful or truthful data, data collection on environmental issues, um, and as a result, he, it lets the fossil fuel industry off the hook. So Trump is gone on record calling climate change, quote, a Chinese hoax, as reported uh, by Mother Jones in 2016, and a con. Um, he's also seen to it, as reported by Time, uh, that the mention of information, the mention of climate change, any information about climate change has been removed from the EPA website. Uh, the, there's the decision to withdraw from the Paris Climate Agreement. And then there was retooling of models used by the U.S. Geological Survey, which is we're going to talk about a little more in depth, and that was reported by Wired.com. And then also the cancellation of NASA's carbon monitoring program is reported by ScienceMag.org. So this has been basically a to pretty much a total um, dismantling of any environmental regulations. And in recent months, they've seen a lot of mid, what they call midnight deregulation. So the, the pace of this deregulation has really stepped up. Uh, I don't know if Trump's worried he's going to lose, but they, they want to make sure that, I, I do believe Trump wants to make sure that his buddies in the fossil fuel industry get everything they want and don't have to deal with any pesky regulations or laws protecting the air that we breathe and the water that we drink. Nothing to get in the way of just profit. So the protections have been obliterated, and it started the day he entered office, all right? Um, New York Times reported that the reversals began, and the date, and basically, the New York Times reported that these environmental reversals will be probably the biggest legacy that Trump has left. 
And it's because of the ramifications of these decisions. You know, those of us that are boomers, we're not the ones that are going to have to deal with this. It's going to be our kids and our grandkids that are going to suffer the effects of this, suffer the effects of the selfishness of the people that put Trump in office. So some of the environmental reversals uh, that Lerner reported, March 2017, the EPA um, signaled that they would not complete the planned ban of a neurotoxic pesticide called chlorpyrifos. That was reported by the, uh, the Intercept. And that decision came immediately after consulting with industry groups and after Dow Chemical, um, which makes the pesticide, uh, donated a million to the Trump inaugural committee, as reported by the New York Times in 2017. The Trump EPA has done even more environmental rollbacks. They've gutted the Clean Water Act, again reported by the Intercept in 2018. Um, they've weakened restrictions on facilities that emit toxic air pollution, as reported by Vox. They scrapped a rule that required mining companies uh, set aside some money to cover the cost of cleaning up pollution. Uh, and that's reported by The Guardian in 2017. They rewrote the National Environmental Policy Act, reported by The Hill, so that it no longer requires the government to consider something that's really important, namely the cumulative environmental impacts of a lot of federal projects on communities. And that was reported again by The Intercept in just a couple months ago, actually. And cumulative environmental impacts are really important. Um, one of the reasons why you will see later on this report that a Trump loyalist limited the scope and the data collection of certain models is so that they, they can claim we don't need to worry about the cumulative impact. Uh, it's kind of like the idea, you know, you don't see the data, so there's no foul. That's what it is. The cumulative impact is what we really need to look at. All right. This is, this is what's going to happen further down the road. And uh, it's, you know, the equivalent of, um, you know, a doctor looks at a suspicious looking sore and um, just cleans it off, puts a Band-Aid on it, and doesn't bother to do a biopsy to see whether or not there's a cancer. It's along those lines. So Trump's EPA also made sure the coal industry can now dump mining waste in streams. That was reported by the New York Times in 2017. Uh, and then also we've got an issue with methane. Now methane's a climate pollution, pollutant, and it traps, according to this, over 80 times more heat than carbon dioxide over a 20-year period. And the U.S. has already released a boatload of it, way too much. Um, and the rollback of methane rules, that was finalized by the EPA in August, reported by the Hill. It was opposed by many major oil companies um, that will be affected by it. Okay, It's designed to ignore climate issues, all right? It's going to increase greenhouse gases. And I know this all seems kind of confusing, but the idea being, again, everything the Trump administration is doing through their, the EPA and a few other agencies is to limit the scope of models, of predictive climate models, so that they can stand there and say, look, it's just a little bit of a problem. Because they know if they actually had an honest predictive climate model that was really long-term, the data would be pretty damning. So the EPA also weakened fuel economy standards uh, for cars and trucks, according to the LA Times, just this past March. Uh, and then that was while people are focusing on COVID. It's going to cost you more at the gas pump, but it's also going to hurt our air. Um, and, you know, once again, we have this issue. Um, the Department of Interior finalized a plan to open up Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge, okay, and open it up to, guess what, oil drilling. And that's a move that environmentalists are, know is going to greatly increase carbon emissions as well as endangered species of plants and animals. Again, opening up Alaska's Arctic National Wildlife Refuge to oil drilling isn't just going to affect us in the U.S. It affects the entire world. And who suffers the most when it comes to environmental crimes? It's poorer nations and communities of color. And that's, that's where the environmental racism comes into play. 
rich nations dump on poor nations. This is colonialism 2.0 all over again, only on a much more deadly level. So then we've also got something called, um, we lost what was called the Clean Power Plan, which was an Obama-era plan. It was supposed to reduce climate pollution by more than 400 million tons by 2030. Trump replaced it with what he called the Affordable Clean Energy Rule, again, reported by EPA in 2019. It is much weaker. This is going to result in some very deadly consequences, again, for the entire world. Changes also to the mercury and air toxic standards, again, reported by the EPA. Um, The EPA made them in April. It's going to really reduce limits. It's going to undermine limits on mercury and other toxic air pollution that is also consistent with coal-fired power plants. And these were standards that were put in place in 2011. They changed them so that they're basically, those regulations are useless. Um, even though that those regulations put in place in 2011 has prevented between four and 11,000 premature deaths every year. But Trump's EPA doesn't care. Um, they've decided that it's not necessary. And, and keep in mind, mercury and air, other air toxics have been linked to causing brain damage in developing fetuses. It increases heart attacks in adults. And if that methane rollback also stands, um, it's going to result in more people becoming sick and dying prematurely, as well as hastening climate change. All right? Methane turns into ozone, causes chronic diseases, and that includes respiratory damage, cancer, asthma, and heart disease. What they call fence line communities, And again, these are communities that live way too close to these polluters. They are disproportionately communities of color. And that includes 1 million African Americans who live, according to this, within a half mile of an oil or gas facility, as reported by The Intercept. Um, They're going to be the hardest hit. And The Intercept reported on that in an article called ExxonMobil, still pumping toxins into black community in Texas 17 years after a civil rights complaint. All right. Um, You know, again, we only have a few weeks till the election. The wildfires and the flooding are continuing to spread. The flooding in the south, the wildfires in California and Oregon. And this is part of a larger climate apocalypse, okay, as reported by the L.A. Times, because it is. All right. We have another issue of particulate matter and ozone. Okay. Since 1977, our federal laws required a Clean Air Scientific Advisory Committee, or CASEC, and this was made up of independent, composed of independent scientists that helped set standards. And it's important that these, these scientists are independent. The committee still exists, but Trump's EPA basically virtually gutted it of independent scientists, and they removed... I, Here's the thing, they removed all the epidemiologists. Now, epidemiologists are specific scientists and medical doctors that trace different types of, different levels of illness and disease in a general population. So you can see overall trends in that long, long-standing model. So you can see why Trump would want to, and his corporate buddies would want to get rid of all the epidemiologists. And then, according to a report in EE News, They replaced all those independent scientists and epidemiologists with, quote, industry-friendly experts, end quote. Well, we could have predicted that. So CASAC is now headed by Lewis Anthony Cox, Jr. Now, Mr. Cox is an industry consultant. He routinely disputes well-established science. This is reported by Europa um, EU. Um, He disagrees that particulate matter causes any problems or kills are causes increased increased rates of heart and lung disease. Mr. Cox has worked for ExxonMobil, the American Chemistry Council, and the American Petroleum Industry. I'm sorry, the American Petroleum Institute. So his past work is a clear conflict of interest. Mr. Cox should not be running that committee. Then we look at present EPA administrator Andrew Wheeler fired, uh, according to Science Mag, fired a panel of scientists. Um, who disputes the well-established science that's showing, I'm sorry, I almost dropped my phone there. Um, 
present EPA administrator, Andrew Wheeler, fired a panel of scientists that normally that have advised CASIC on particulate matter. And that included advising them on various particulates that included dust, dirt, soot, and smoke. And again, this was reported by Science Mag. And got rid of a panel of ozone experts. And Mr. Cox claimed that this was his effort to streamline the standard setting process. So now we have a bunch of industry toadies that have replaced qualified scientists and epidemiologists that were independent. Their, their, their report, their professional future did not depend on giving a positive report to the president's administration so they could be honest. So, and then these ozone weather, pro, pro standard doesn't even consider the effects of climate change at all. Okay. So we have this other guy, Bernie Goldstein, and he is a physician who served as the chair of CASIC. Um, and he was a Mr. Bernie, Dr. Goldstein was a Reagan appointed EPA assistant administrator. So he's not a raging um, liberal at all. He's now a member of the Environmental Protection Network. And, you know, he said this is a sop to the oil and gas industry that's going to prove deadly. Um, Dr. Goldstein is worried that increased vulnerability to air pollution during COVID, especially. Um, to quote Dr. Goldstein, quote, more people will die because the pollutant standards aren't high enough. Uh, and he's talking about the fact that President Trump EPA completely refused to consider the effects of COVID when they were looking at these, these um, air pollution particulate data and standards. So Trump further is working with Agricultural Secretary Sonny Perdue to expand logging in Alaska's Tongrass National Forest. Um, again, you're going to remove possibly 10 million acres of trees that absorb, <coughs> excuse me, more carbon than any other national forest. <coughs> and on top of that, the Department of Interior and the Trump administration wants to fast track um, environmental reviews of oil and gas drilling projects, according to the AP. That includes the Mountain Valley Natural Gas Pipeline and a natural gas terminal in Oregon. So, you know, once again, this is more poison being dumped, and we're the ones that are going to pay the price. Um, so reversing the damage. Can we reverse the damage? Well, the Center for Biological Diversity is a, an environmental organization that has been challenging the Trump wrote. Uh, rollbacks in court. And their lawsuits have succeeded. Um, basically, only 12, uh, there were 81 lawsuits, only 12 were actually decided in the Trump administration's favor as of August 31st. And that was reported by the Institute of Policy Integrity at New York University School of Law. So, if Trump loses this election, we can at least try to roll back some things. If he wins, I, I don't even want to think about it. Um, because basically, the Trump administration allowed the polluters to come in. This is basically the, uh, the legal equivalent of saying, hi, Fox, meet the head house, enjoy. Bon appetit. Journalist activist Bill McKibben also weighed in. Um, in terms of the importance of unseating Trump. Quote, this is going to be the most important election for the next few million years. Now, McKibben tweeted that, um, and he sent out a video of the president, again, denying climate science, okay, even as Trump was being briefed on the wildfires, okay? Um, so, you know, once again, we have this mess, all right? So let's look at another agency real fast here. And this was reported from Wired. I spoke about it earlier. The Trump titled The Trump Team Has a Plan to Not Fight Climate Change. And this is, deals with the agency that is known as the U.S. Geological Survey. And what they did was they put a new guy in, Jim Riley, as the director. And he really likes short-term models. And, and why do I focus on the models, the predictive models so much? Because all the climate deniers and 
the different think tanks that really want to have nonstop mining and drilling and, and use of fossil fuels, they rely on predictive climate models that are very short-term in order to mitigate or make it look like the damage they do isn't as bad as it actually is. All right, but that cumulative effect is what you have to look at. That's what makes it far worse. It's, it, again, it's akin to looking at something that might be a few cancerous cells and whether or not it's going to metastasize, not only become malignant, but, but metastasize all over your body. That the process of metastasizing, that's a cumulative effect of these environmental crimes. Make no mistake about it. So Riley's been in charge since 2018. And he, let me, let me tell you who he is first of all, okay? He is a petroleum geologist and a former astronaut, although he spent more of his time as an astronaut than anything else. And, you know, he does have a PhD in geoscience, but he has not been active as a scientist. He's been more active as an astronaut. He has not been active in the research community for a very long time, okay? So the earth science community, this particular agency is very important. It looks at, it's supposed to look at long-term, the long-term scope of climate change. So the U.S. Geological Survey, um, you know, basically when you look at this, in 2018, the Trump administration dumped a landmark 1,500-page federal review of the risk of global warming, which was titled the Fourth National Climate Assessment. And the White House had really worked to discredit the report. Then Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said, quote, it's not based on facts. It's based on modeling, which is extremely hard to do when you're talking about the climate, end quote. Okay. There are so many things that Sarah Huckabee Sanders knows very little about, and environmental science is one of them. Okay, of course you look at modeling. You can't know for sure what's going to happen 100 years from now, but you can extrapolate mathematically what's going to happen based on that modeling prediction. So Riley took charge, and one of the first things he did, which was something that was, I'd say, inspired by a memo drafted um, for Ryan Zink, a plan to limit research and data to short-term, short-term data. It's a dangerous idea, okay? They want to shrink the perspective, shrink those models. And they want to take this idea of models, which is how you predict things, on climate change decision-making, taking those guidelines, and only focus on the next 10 years. That's pretty damning right there. Ten years is barely a blink in geological time. So Riley had hinted at this plan uh, for a while there, and he looked at what he called the spaghetti chart regarding climate model pathways. And it was based from 1950 to 2100. In the middle of the chart, present day, up to about 2040, the spaghetti strands kind of come together, and the models are well aligned, because it's predicted the levels of CO2 in the atmosphere have been accounted for, uh, as well as weather patterns that, uh, such as El Nino, things like that. And that's beyond the, the control of humans. But the long-term emission scenarios are being neglected. All right? So what would happen over the next 20, 30, 40 years? Well, that's when those spaghetti strands go wild. All right, these far-reaching time periods matter, okay? And they matter the most for policy, and that's according to Richard Alley, who is a geoscientist at Penn State and the former chair of the National Research Council's panel on abrupt climate change, okay? And, you know, basically he said, by the time you get to the end of the century, the greatest source, quote, of uncertainty derives from what we as a society do or fail to do, Okay. Quote, the imprecision represents an opportunity then, a chance to navigate a safer, flatter curve into the future. Okay. Allie said, quote, the shorter the window you worry about, the less you do to reduce emissions. End quote. And that's true. This is, again, when you have a, a climate, climate change model, 
and you limit its scope to 10 years, it's not going to look so bad, which means it's not going to, it's not going to push very much action. But if you have a model, a climate change model that looks into the next 100 years, you're going to see the cumulative effects and the emergency. So Riley's answer to these criticisms was, quote, of course there's a left and right to these issues. It's all politics. And my position on the science is that science has no politics, end quote. And he loves that phrase, science has no politics. But the thing is, science does have politics. The politics, I'm going to say, in my opinion, the politics of the rich being allowed to censor data, limit data, and get away with future genocide caused by global climate devastation in the name of profit, especially for the fossil fuel industries. Uh, and so Riley's leadership has been really disastrous. Okay. Um, so, again, as I said, his educational background, Riley holds a PhD in geosciences, but he has no previous management experience in any sort of federal government agency, and he has not been an active member of any research community. In fact, before Trump appointed him, very few people had heard of him. Okay. Um, and then, you know, Riley's name was floated by a friend of his, Harrison Jack Schmidt, who's another former astronaut. Um, and Schmidt has also been an outspoken critic of climate science. And, in fact, Schmidt, during a panel discussion in 2018, um, really stated his doubt that human beings cause climate change. Quote, there is no evidence, there are models, but the models of a very, very complex natural system are off Systems are often wrong, end quote. Well, climate deniers love model bashing. They want to focus on the short timeline because they know full well that when you focus on the full long-term effects, most likely it will open them up to possible liabilities. No long-term models, no data, no foul. And that's what happens, and that's what Riley is pushing. He's literally telling agency scientists, don't, don't look into the future. Don't go beyond 10 years. He's literally telling them, do not investigate. Not hard to do this. And there's a bunch of conservative think tanks, including the Heritage Foundation and the Heartland Institute, that have also pushed the idea that climate models are defective, and it's become a major talking point in the Trump White House. In fact, in 2018, the Heritage Foundation told the New York Times Magazine that 66 of their employees and alumni joined the federal government, and Schmidt, just ha the climate denier who's a friend of Riley's, happens to be a former board member and policy advisor of the Heartland Institute. Basically, these people have infiltrated. Okay? And, in, and because of that, Riley was appointed. And while it may not look like a direct quid pro quo, it's close enough. And Riley constrains the use of models. Again, a 10-year model is totally unusable when it comes to geologic surveys and climate change. It just is. Okay? It's, it's scientifically illegitimate when it comes to the science of, of geology. Okay? So Riley has also purged the agency of senior-level employees. Um, and that's another thing that he's done. But he also put a former NASA employee to serve as deputy director. And he's, you know, there was a senior U.S. Geological Survey employee who was interviewed by the Inspector General's office of the Department of Interior who said, quote, there are people in the survey whose careers he has destroyed, Okay. And another staffer said, quote, he's sitting there, meaning Riley, he's sitting there with the senior scientist and telling us we were redundant and useless. And that's when I realized we were really screwed, end quote. Again, this is another agency where scientists are being fired for telling the truth. So it isn't just COVID, it's environmental climate change as well. And this is something that we can no longer allow. All right, this is another reason why Trump must go. All right, there's, there's no, um, you know, again, there's no guesswork here whatsoever. And so we look at this a little further, and 
once again, Riley has basically dismantled the geological survey. He has fired senior scientists and replaced them with people, heading up people that really don't have enough of a credential. He's limited data because he wants a, a climate change model that is only 10 years in scope. All right. Um, and you can't, you can't have that. All right. You just, you just can't. Um, so there were multiple U.S. geological survey sources that Riley has done quite a few things that are wrong, including a, let's see now, there was a memo. Alrighty. So, um, all right, there's a lot here, guys. Um, Riley, okay, sorry about that. Got a little blip here. So, we have a situation here where this man is just not qualified to run this agency, all right, where he is limiting data, and it is frightening. Um, in late October 2018, Riley gave a talk to this this, uh, this convention and the AGU, and the talk, the talk was, who the heck am I? He was introducing himself. And this interagency fight broke out among some of the federal government's leading administrators and climate scientists. Now, the fourth national climate assessment was about to be released. And political appointees were pushing for last-minute changes. Uh, specifically, officials at NOAA led by, uh, let's see, the chief of staff, Stu Levenbach, they wanted to uh, rid any, they wanted to basically dispense or get rid of any what they call broad brush overviews of the report's key findings, okay? And among some of the phrases they, some of the phrases they wanted to censor from the report was the following, quote, climate change is expected to cause growing losses to America in, American infrastructure and property, and, quote, climate change increasingly threatens indigenous communities. Those were two of the phrases that Levenbach from NOAA wanted stricken from that report. And the, the officials said that they argued that the summary should push the, what they call the, quote, the full range of possible outcomes. Okay. And this story that was done in Wired, Levenbach didn't, he refused to comment and he referred any questions to the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, and the Office of Science and Technology Policy didn't respond to WIRED to request for comment. So once again, we have another example of censorship of scientists, of scientific data happening. So for Mr. Riley to claim that there is no politics in science, of course there is, and it's taking the form of censorship because the Trump administration doesn't like those pesky facts. And that's what's happening. Um, so some members of the advisory board for the U.S. Global Change Research Program, and that's the group that coordinates and oversees the national climate assessments, they worry that proposed changes would basically render the document less useful and not accessible to non-scientists. Um, the board felt the changes pushed by Levenbach could mislead readers on important points. And, of course, it's going to mislead readers. Levenbach wanted to neuter important facts in the report, period. All right. Um, so this is something. So and, uh, one board member told the reporter it created some tense moments. Um, the program's acting chair was Virginia Burkett, who is a U.S. Geological Survey veteran of over 30 years. Burkett's an internationally recognized climate scientist. She was part of the team that won the Nobel Prize um, for the IPCC report in 2007. And she's always tried to keep herself away from any sort of po politics. As a scientist, in 2014, she said in an interview, quote, as a scientist, I think you lose credibility if you become a table-banging activist, end quote. But when last-minute edits came in from NOAA, 
Burkett stood firm, um, and she tried to push back. And in the end, Burkett's faction did hold the line. The requested changes weren't put into the report. But Riley was, according to another USGS employee, he was really unhappy about the way Burkett handled it. Burkett, again, did not, did not comment to this wired story. In 2019, um, Riley told Burkett he would be replacing her as program chair. Okay? And he re- Riley replaced Burkett with Wayne Higgins, who was a NOAA climate scientist, um, who was also involved in negotiating the changes on behalf of Levenbach. Okay? So, again, these political appointees, even in science, are infiltrating. And this is something we can no longer allow. Okay? The fifth national climate assessment is due in 2023. If Trump's reelected, God help us. All right? We can pretty much predict that it's not going to be an honest assessment. And assessments and models are important because they determine how much money is going to go for certain mitigation practices. You can't separate these two. That's why these professionals are working so hard to defang this. So this is what we're dealing with, all right? And, you know, by now, four years into the Trump administration, it is evidently clear that qualified professionals who have a history of giving honest scientific analysis were among the first casualties in Trump's war on facts and the truth. This has been witnessed by the world in every aspect of the Trump presidency. Unfortunately, the professional cleansing of scientists in the federal government, both for COVID as well as environmental science, has been among the most daunting danger we face as a nation and as a world. Trump replaced a qualified research geologist with Jim Riley. And again, as I said before, Riley, while he has a PhD in geoscience, he has not been active in the research community, which should be an absolute requirement. The person in charge of that agency should be somebody who is tops in the research community for that specific discipline. Instead, Riley's been an astronaut, and I'm not putting astronauts down. So while Riley claims there's no politics in science, I beg to differ. (coughs) Science affects politics. And when those running scientific research agencies actively seek to limit predictive research models or, frankly, limit data itself, then they're injecting partisan politics where it doesn't belong. And they're doing so in order to prevent the truth, prevent the data, from coming out. Limiting data or limiting the planned scope of a predictive scientific model on something as direly important as global climate devastation only serves one purpose, namely to limit the predictive strength of that model. As I said before, it's akin to a doctor visually inspecting a suspicious-looking sore and only providing a Band-Aid when there may very well be a metastasized cancer. For four long years, we've been subjected, I'm going to use that cancer again, for four long years, we've been subjected to the cancer of Trump's war on the truth, his constant lies, along with the full complicity of the GOP. We deserve far better. We must vote Trump and his GOP collaborators out of office. We need to vote as if the fate of the planet depends on removing Trump and his GOP of loathsome liars, because it does. So that's the justice report, the big story. Now we're going to look at the environmental heroes, zeros, villains, or question marks. There were so many to choose from, okay? And kind of bear with me. It's it's hard to get used to doing a full hour. It's hard to judge how long this is going to take. So when I look at this particular issue here, when I look at the devastation of science, okay, the fact that scientific truth is being attacked, there's a couple of environmental characters that I have to talk about. Can't avoid it. But when I look at it very closely, I have to say, one, 
Donald Trump. Donald J. Trump himself is an environmental villain. There's no other way to put it. And while he may not hate fresh air and clean water and safe food, he loves money and power and his vanity far more. So Trump has gone in there, and in my opinion, he has decided that he needs to dismantle every single environmental protection regulation that exists. I honestly believe that if Donald Trump thought he could get away with dismantling the the Food and Drug Administration as well, we would be back to the days of Upton Sinclair when he wrote The Jungle and buying meat and trying to eat meat that was produced uh, by the industry, you were risking your life. I, I do believe that if he thought he could get away with it, he would do that. He's doing that right now with the COVID crisis. He's doing that right now with these predictive environmental climate change models. And he's basically uh, like Ryan Zink and Andrew Wheeler and, and before that Scott Pruitt and said, take care of it. And so they put in people that were either not fully qualified to do, to basically run these scientific agencies but also made sure that they would demand climate change models that were very limited in scope. This is very akin to what has happened with the COVID crisis. Trump didn't want much testing done because the numbers would make him look bad. It would spook the market. It would make it look like more people have died. And so one of the ways they lie by omission is by jerry-rigging the data. And so they get people in there that say, look, they know the scientists don't like to mess with data because, frankly, when you tamper with data, it is akin to tampering with evidence in a criminal case. So instead of actually directly tampering with the data, the first thing they did was let's limit the scope of these models, these predictive models. If we limit it to 10 years on global climate change, guess what? Data is not going to look so bad. We're not going to look at 100 years in advance. We're going to look at just 10 years which again, when it comes to geoscience, isn't even a blink of an eye. And then they wanted certain things taken out of reports. All right? This is tampering with data. It's tampering with facts. It is on its face another form of lying, period. Because the fossil fuel industry doesn't want to have to put out the money to use what we have now, state-of-the-art technology, to at least clean up the mess they caused. Because the the fossil fuel industry doesn't want to have to deal with the fact that communities of color especially, and and, and, and not only communities of color here in the U.S., but all over the world, have been dumped on by wealthier nations and caused premature deaths all over the world with this dumping of pollution because then that would open them up to liabilities. But it still goes back to the idea of the arrogance of the extremely wealthy, the arrogance of the corporate class, the arrogance of the billionaire class, that they honestly seem to believe that they are above the law and that they can poison our air and our water and our food with impunity. And this has to stop. I, I don't know how else to put this. And now we can't, even, we can't even trust that the data that we see is honest. Not because the scientists want to lie about it, but because the people running the agencies either aren't qualified, like Mr. Riley, or they have been told to limit the scope of predictive models so that the data doesn't show the real damage. That's what we're dealing with. So Donald Trump is an environmental villain. Secondly, the entire GOP of Trump. They have been environmental villains from the very beginning. Ironically, the very agency, the EPA, was first established by a Republican president, Richard Nixon. But once again, you have a GOP that has acted as a handmaiden 
to the corporate class, to corporate law firms that work for the corporate class, and to the billionaire class. And this is something we can no longer allow. So as I said before, for four long years, we have been subjected to a cancer of constant lies coming from the GOP of Trump, coming from Trump himself. We can no longer allow it. This particular election, and this is an editorial, a big story, that was the news report. This is an editorial. And the fact is, people in Florida and all over the U.S., you need to vote Trump and every member of the Republicans that are up for re-election out of office as if not only your lives, but the lives of your children and your future grandchildren depend on it because guess what? They do. If we have a second Trump administration, we will be finally pushed off that environmental cliff. It will be a point of no return. And they don't have a right to do that. So please vote the GOP of Trump out of office, vote Donald Trump out of office, and every member of the Republican Party that is up for re-election is the only way, the only chance that we have to fight and push the Democrats to give us some honest science. So on that note, we have about seven and a half minutes left. And I'm just going to bid adieu. I think I've talked enough tonight. You know, they say women aren't supposed to sound angry. Something about women sounding angry that makes men uncomfortable and maybe some other women as well. But anger coming from righteous indignation is honest. You know, every time I see, especially a female politician, feel like they have to give a serious talk while having a charming smile on their face and a lilt in their voice, I want to scream. Because that's not honest. It just isn't. When we're talking about the fate of the planet, pardon me if I sound angry, angry because guess what? We're entitled to be angry about this. It didn't have to be this way. And that, frankly, when they say women shouldn't sound angry, I reiterate with, in nature, there is nothing more dangerous and nothing angrier than a female defending her cubs. There just isn't. So to those who don't like the fact that I sound angry on air, I don't care. I'm going to tell the facts. I'm going to tell the truth. And no, I'm not going to have a smile on my face when it isn't contextually appropriate. And no, I'm not going to have a lilt to my voice and sound pleasant when it's not a pleasant situation. Okay? They need to take their incipient sexism and take it somewhere else. So once again, this is the Environmental Justice Report with Janine Moloff. It is time to vote Donald Trump out of office, vote every Republican out of office, as if our lives and the life of the planet depends on it, because it does. And with that, I say good night.